Today we hear from the Gospel according to Luke, likely written by a physician in the late first century CE, sometime after the writing of the Gospel of Mark. Let us open our ears, our minds, our hearts and souls across time and space to listen to the, this account of the events of Mary's life leading up to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. We hear today from the New Revised Standard Version as modified. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is her name. Her mercy is for those who fear her, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. She has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. She has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise she made to our ancestors to Abraham and Sarah, and to their descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God in spirit, for the word of God among us, thanks be to God. God, I pray that in my speaking and in all of our hearing, you give us your wisdom, your compassion, and your joy. Amen. Good morning. Some of you may recognize me without my mask on, and others may not. I've had the privilege of serving as the seminarian at United Parish since September, and I'm honored to bring the word to you in worship on this third Sunday of Advent. I became involved with United Parish in the fall of 2019, attending on Sunday mornings. When I had the opportunity to do contextual education as part of my coursework at the Boston University School of Theology, I hoped to serve here at United Parish. One thing I love about this church is that here, God is so much more than a white, heterosexual, cisgender male and the maleness and whiteness of God are never assumed. As I seek to expand the language I and others use for the divine, 
this is a place I can truly worship. It's a blessing to be a part of the faith community that is the United Parish in Brookline. The text we read today includes the Magnificat. It is a song that Mary sings or a speech that she gives. We don't really know whether it had a tune, but for our purposes today, I'll call it a song. It's commonly considered to be modeled after Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. I'd like to review the background of Mary's story, although you may be familiar with it. Previously, in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, we meet Mary in a town called Nazareth, which is in Galilee. She is a young teenager, a virgin, and engaged to a man named Joseph, but not living with him. Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, who we understand to be sent by God. Gabriel tells Mary that she will become pregnant and conceive a child who will be named Jesus, actually a pretty common name at the time. Of course, in the Gospel of Matthew, we learn another name for Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Mary asks Gabriel how she could become pregnant since she is a virgin. Gabriel responds that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and she will conceive and that the child will be called the Son of God. Gabriel then tells Mary that her relative Elizabeth, who is post-menopausal, is also pregnant. We know that Elizabeth's child will be John the Baptist from earlier in the chapter. Mary says to Gabriel, let it be with me according to your word. And off she goes to visit Elizabeth, where we pick up the story today. I have been wrestling with Mary's story as told in Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2 for a long time, off and on. Around the ages of 13 and 14, I began journaling, writing what I imagined to be Mary's journal entries. I recognized that I was around her age. I wrote about the feelings and thoughts I imagined that she might have had, how scared she must have been, and maybe feelings about the amazing potential of the task she'd been given and the child to whom she would give birth and who she would raise. Both of these, fear and amazement, commingled. And still at age 25, this text is very challenging for me because I see Mary's lack of reproductive freedom and what I see as her lack of true consent. Mary took on an inordinate amount of risk in bearing a child as a young unmarried girl. According to Jewish laws written in the book of Deuteronomy, an engaged virgin who has sex with a man could be stoned to death. And in my mind, she had no ability to refuse. When an angel comes to you and says that God is asking you to give birth to God's son, how do you say no to that? We often celebrate Mary's choice, Mary's yes to this call from God, but I question her ability to consent freely. Being raised by a mother who is staunchly pro-choice and very Christian, I never saw a conflict between advocating for reproductive justice and following Christ. When I say reproductive justice, I am talking about comprehensive sexual education access to contraceptives and birth control for all, and access to abortion care. My mother donated to Planned Parenthood and tithes to our church. I value bodily autonomy highly, 
Maybe it's because at a young age, I was shown a video of children's songs, including one that goes, my body's nobody's body but mine. You run your own body, let me run mine. Maybe it's because now as a woman and a person with a uterus, I have to value bodily autonomy. I've been stewing with all of this as I prepare to talk with you about this text. And this week, I found a poem written by a progressive Christian writer on Instagram, Caitlin Shetler. Here are a couple of stanzas of Shetler's Magnificat. She barely agreed to bear the divine, but church rarely has time to talk consent when a woman's body is involved. I don't doubt Mary's song, just the tune because you can still magnify the things that frighten you and call holy powers that oppress. As you may have gathered already, my spiritual development often comes through music. So when I read today's gospel text, I started to get lots of songs in my head. These range from a Magnificat chant to folk music and musical theater. One musical adaptation of the Magnificat I like is by Ms. Lauren Hill and features Carlos Santana. It is called To Zion. It's from the perspective of a young woman, much like Mary, who has a visit from an angel and becomes pregnant. Lauren Hill actually wrote this for her oldest child. And people said to her, the character in this song, look at your career, they said. Lauren, baby, use your head but instead I chose to use my heart. I would have been one of those friends telling her to be smart. Lauren Hill sings of being chosen, and she sings, now the joy of my world is in Zion. If I was a friend of Mary's when she became pregnant, I would have feared for her life. If we knew of a local woman with knowledge of the herbs to end a pregnancy, I may have encouraged Mary to consider her options. Maybe Mary would have responded that she was certain that this pregnancy was ordained by God. And then, I think, if Mary had listened to such friends, where would we be? And still, with my beliefs in bodily autonomy, and that no one should be pregnant without their consent. I read the text of the Magnificat, Mary's song, and I see that the joy of Advent is very much present in this text itself. Today, we lit the candle of joy, and in this spirit, there is good news here. The good news is the choice that Mary made and that somehow she knew what it meant. Maybe she intuited what Christ would bring about. Maybe it was a divine revelation, the moment that she met with Elizabeth. And Mary embraced the great responsibility for which she was chosen. The good news, too, is in the role reversals of Mary's words. The joy of Advent and the good news of Christ that Mary sings can also be heard in song today. Some of you may know the Canticle of the Turning. It's an Irish folk tune with lyrics by Rory Cooney. 
the good news of Advent is that, and I quote, the world is about to turn. And the prophet Mary knew that through her son, God's reign would mean the turning of the world. The good news is that Christ comes among us every year at Advent and Christmas and every day. She proclaimed, as the lyrics to the canticle go, the hungry poor shall weep no more for the food they can never earn. There are tables spread, every mouth to be fed, for the world is about to turn. And also, the good news is that God's reign and God's economic order are not our economic order. Every mouth will be fed. So what shall we do with this as followers of Christ? And what does this turning of the world, the kingdom of God in which the lowest are elevated, mean for us today? What does it mean for people experiencing increased food insecurity and hunger during the COVID-19 pandemic here in Brookline and around the United States? What does it mean for women and people with uteruses today in the U.S. and around the world? What does it mean for women experiencing poverty who lack access to reproductive health care that they need? What does it mean for women of color, for people with unplanned pregnancies? What does it mean for people who cannot become pregnant? What does it mean for people who have been raped? As followers of Christ, what are we to do to bring the kingdom of God into being more and more? I read these words that God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. She has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And I ask where that is happening in our world today. I see it in pockets, in pieces, such as the work of the Brookline Food Pantry, getting food to our neighbors, and I see it in local people and organizations across the world. But when we talk about the hungry poor weeping no more for the food they can never earn, as in the canticle lyrics, how do we make that vision sustainable? How do we work for God's justice alongside God's mercy? The work of getting food to people who cannot afford it is so important, and it is work of mercy. How do we make it so that no one needs food assistance? How do we ensure that all have their needs met in the first place? How does this relate to the powerful being tossed from their thrones? and the lowly being lifted up. Because that is God's justice. Even when she was given the most terrifying task, Mary was calm, or so the text leads us to believe. Maybe she was sobbing and hyperventilating the whole way to Elizabeth's home. Why did she go there and stay for so long, at least three months? I imagine she was afraid of ostracism and even death in her hometown. And then she arrived, and Elizabeth sensed that the Messiah was in Mary. And maybe then, and only then, Mary gained this sense of calm. When affirmed by an older woman who was going through an unexpected pregnancy of her own. 
Only then could Mary utter the Magnificat, her canticle of the turning of the world, and how joyfully she sang these words. God chose Mary for a dangerous task. How do you say no when a divine messenger tells you that you are going to bear the child of the Holy Spirit, literally God with us? How do we say no when God calls us to tasks that scare us, and with good reason? To what does God call me and you and the church? What are the tasks God gives us that we simply cannot refuse? the tasks that usher in God's reign in our communities and world. From my human perspective, from my 21st century perspective, God asked of Mary an unthinkable task that she should not have had to endure. Becoming pregnant, giving birth to Jesus and raising him at great personal risk. And she couldn't say no. This is a problem. And still, Mary made it possible for God to become incarnate in the world. And the person of Jesus is God's sign that she is always with us. And still, God's judgments and plans surpass mine. And still, through an act that troubles me, the incarnate God came into the world. Mary was a prophet and proclaimed the reign of God, which she ushered in by giving birth to Jesus, a reign in which news of God's reign, a reign in which the poor have their needs met and the powerful are dethroned. We too are called to continually usher in the reign of God in this world amidst the complexities and difficulties of this biblical story. This is the good news of the Magnificat, God's reign in our world. And yes, Mary knew. <laughs>